navigating today's challenges with yesterday's experiences. Senior Wisdom is your opportunity to take in wisdom gained by our elderly population and apply this insight to your own life. It's a time machine of sorts, sending you back to challenges of pre-millennia days and places that stretch across the globe. Bill Drake was born in Norfolk, Virginia, with roots in Mississippi. Bill's mom and her parents and grandparents had participated in the Ku Klux Klan, slave plantations, and service as a colonel in the Civil War. Bill's mom was actually brought up with the help of a black woman. White supremacy attitudes and behaviors were quite active in Bill's young life. At 17, Bill had a transforming experience. He was on a bus witnessing the disrespectful behavior of his cousin towards a respectful black woman. A year and a half later, Bill asked his older brother while driving together if it was right to look down on people that are a different color from them. His brother had the perfect answer, no. This was one of the shortest conversations in his life and one of the most profound. Bill recognizes that being curious while standing outside our current role in life, being honest and understanding of our own imperfections can transform prejudice into appreciation. Senior Wisdom is ready to share another golden nugget. So adjust the volume on your laptop or handheld device and soak into a conversation with Bill Drake. Well, this is a wonderful day to to be sitting down in a in a what appears to be a living room. We're actually in a studio. Someone, uh, I believe, uh, Bill, your your wife is a a psychotherapist. Is that that's right? right? That's right. That's right. Well, I'm sitting here with Bill Drake, and we are going to be discussing uh, some very interesting experiences that he has had through his years, and uh, very life transforming, I would say. So, Bill, born and raised in Virginia. Uh, that's correct. Uh, I was born in 1945 and grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. That was my hometown. Lived there. Went away to military high school, went away to college, and then left Virginia after I finished college. So. See, Norfolk, Virginia, that not that by the Atlantic Ocean? It is. It, at the time, I believe it was the world's largest naval base. Uh, did you have a big family? I understand there were a couple brothers. I had two older brothers, so they're just the three so boys. So you're the young one. I was the youngest. Oh, yeah. you probably got the, the brunt of it at times. Could have been worse. My two older brothers were a little closer to each other than I was, but I was still the youngest kid there. Yeah. And did you, I mean, you were living in Virginia, grew up in Virginia. Was your family from Virginia? Not really. My mother was from Mississippi, which was a, a big uh, influence on my life in a way, was her, her background, her family background and so on. She was very proud of being from Mississippi and would like for us to have been from Mississippi. But her husband, my father, even though he was from uh, basically South Carolina and Georgia, his father had a business in Norfolk, Virginia, textile chemicals, uh, making chemicals for the textile mills. And so my father worked for his father, and that was how my family came to actually be in the Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. We actually lived in Virginia Beach for six months of my life. What would you say the influence was of the family's background in Georgia and, and Mississippi? Well, the primary influence was uh, through my mother and it's certainly related to the area of racism. My mother grew up in a very proud Southern family. My great-great-grandparents on my mother's maternal side had slave plantations in Mississippi. My great-grandfather on my mother's 
paternal side was a colonel in the Civil War and member of the Ku Klux Klan, the violent organization that oh, wow. enforced white supremacy. And my mother grew up in that world, uh, actually in the early 1900s with what was referred to as a black mammy who raised her and her sister in the old Southern way as was the case in the slave days. There was a very uh, elderly woman who was born in slavery who actually was a woman who raised my mother and her sister in the early 1900s. So my mother grew up in, in this particular world and her family was very invested in white supremacy. It was during the what was called the Jim Crow era, which started after the Civil War and Reconstruction and where uh, black people were treated in extremely inferior ways and you know, there was extreme segregation in the South. And that of course existed on up to the modern Civil Day era, Civil Rights era in the 19, late 1960s. So, uh, but that was my mother's world and she grew up in that world and very much believed in white supremacy and the superiority of white people to black people. So that was a major influence on my life, uh, particularly through my mother. My father also had similar values, but um, my mother was a, a particularly steeped in it in her own heritage. So that, how, so how old, how old are you now? Can I, if I can ask. Yeah, I'm 69. I always have to stop and think for a second. Okay, I, I you're... Think, well, 69 this year. Around 69-ish, yeah. okay. Well, have a great happy birthday whenever I, the next I, one you. is. Thank you. <laughs> so then, growing up, did you hear a lot of... Did you get a lot of comments from your mom regarding... Uh, that were racist in nature? Yeah, and, and from both my parents. Uh, but my mother certainly did a lot of the, the teaching as someone I was very close to, the teaching about how you behave in the world and the role of white people and black people. So I was taught, and, and this was of course in the time when uh, the South was very segregated, including Virginia, so you know black people went to different schools and black people weren't allowed to go to the same restaurants as white people and things of that nature. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I grew up believing that black people were inferior, that they would have a certain smell because they were black and have, tend to have diseases. My mother and I would drive downtown and if she saw black people, she'd lock the car doors. So the message there, of course, was that there was something to fear or black people would steal from you, something of that nature. We had uh, maids, you know, black people that worked for us and they had a separate bathroom. So of course you have a message there that you wouldn't share the same bathroom with black people. Well, are these experiences that you had that you saw oh, directly? Yeah. That was my life, sure. Wow, uh, not in, sure. in Virginia or yeah, in, yeah. Miss, in, so Virginia. in Virginia as well as when you oh, were yeah. visiting in Mississippi? Yeah, Mississippi was um, more extreme, if you will, but Virginia was very much segregated. In fact, in the late 1950s, there was an entire school system in Prince Edward County that closed their schools for five years as a refusal to integrate the schools. So for five whole years, their schools were, were closed. My schools in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, six, five or six high schools were closed for half a year uh, because of the governor refusing to integrate the schools until he was forced to reopen them. So, oh, Virginia was um, and very what, segregated. What, what years were those? When, when did that happen? Oh, that was, well, the um, closure of the schools was around 1957, 1958, but of course, Segregation existed in Virginia for, for many, many, many years and until the modern-day civil rights period in the late 60s, pretty much. Wow. So then uh, when you were just a child, how did you 
how did you live that? I mean, <laughs> did you not think anything of it because that's the way everybody thought around you? Or sure. did it bother you somewhat? Sure. And I do write about this a lot in my my book, Almost Hereditary. It's uh, It was a way of life for me that was unquestioned. It was sort of like you get up in the morning and you know that gravity exists because you don't fly up to the ceiling. You know that the sun's out there somewhere, somewhere, even if it's cloudy or rainy. It's just a fact of life that white people are superior. <laughs> that's just how, how one learns these things and it just becomes something unquestioned that's just part of your life, part of your worldview, even though it's a, a, a myth. Right, right. And, and what's so amazing is you had this experience happen, which you're going to share now. Sure, sure. You, were, you were a teenager at that sure. time, getting up there in high school, I guess. Can you, can you share that? Sure, yeah, and let me give a little background. I, um, my belief system was so strong that when I was an early teenager, I did things that were racist, things that were hurtful to black people. There was one occasion where another high school friend and I drove through a black neighborhood and yelled derogatory names of black people. And it, it came out of this whole thing that, that I'm sharing here, of this not realizing that you're actually hurting human beings or doing things harmful. When I was a little older, when I was 17, which is the instance you're referring to here, at that time I was away in military high school in Virginia, and I had two cousins from Mississippi, one of whom, uh, it, was a, it was 1962, it was a year that James Meredith became the first black student to enroll at Ole Miss at the University of Mississippi, which was a very threatening thing to the white people in the South. My first cousin, the older first cousin, took his rifle back to school that year when James Meredith enrolled, and um, I can assure you it wasn't to defend James Meredith. So there was some really uh, racist hostility there. His younger brother was uh, came from that same world, that same belief system. He came up to military school to go to school for one year with me in the same school in Virginia. So he had very, very, very strong views about segregation and about white supremacy. And he and I were riding a bus across Virginia to go from military school to my hometown for the holidays. And I, it was either Christmas or Thanksgiving. And there happened to be a black woman sitting in front of him on the bus. And when he grew up, of course, in Mississippi, it was even illegal for black people to sit in front of white people on the bus and, until it was that was finally thrown out by uh, court rulings. So he was kind of incensed to have this black woman sitting in front of him, and the entire bus ride, he just kicked the back of her seat repeatedly. This woman that we didn't know her name, we'd never seen her before, she'd never done anything anything disrespectful to us. And, Did and she say anything when she got off? No, uh, and I don't even remember who got off the bus first. Uh, she never confronted us or said anything. She just sat there and took it. And for myself, even though I'd done things that were racist when I was a couple of years younger, at this point I was a little more mature, and at the same time, I was an observer. And I think that was a critical difference. Instead of being in the middle of an experience that I was initiating or per participating in, I was observing something and could make a little bit of an assessment of it in a way that, that could have some ob objectivity. And with my mother, even though she raised me to to have racist views, she also raised me to be kind. And obviously when I was younger, I, I didn't always act kind, but at this little older 
time period in my life where I could be a little more mature. And your cousin wasn't being very kind. Uh, that, that, that it woman. brought up a, a dissonance in me. It brought up a conflict. There was a belief that, okay, white people are superior, but there was something cruel happening here that, that I couldn't quite accept. So that conflict really challenged me and my belief system. And it was a very pivotal point. And then for about a year, I would say a year and a half, I think that worked on me unconsciously. I don't remember thinking about it a lot, but a year and a half later, I was riding in a car with my brother Fletcher, who was the middle brother, I'm the youngest. So he's just a few years older. He was uh, three years older. And I just said to him, Fletcher, is it right for us to look down on people that are a different color from us? And his entire answer was no. And that was the whole conversation. But That, that was the end of it. That was the, the conversation. entire wow. conversation, one of the shortest in my life, but one of the most profound. If I'd asked my older brother, I would have had a longer answer. It would have had two words and it would have been, hell yeah. Oh, just, it would have yeah, taken me another year to, to process it. But that gave me permission, if you will, to drop the idea of white supremacy and superiority of white people to black people. So that light bulb went on at that time, I, I suppose... We're looking head on now at what one of the pieces of wisdom that you took from that sure. is. Um, how would you describe that wisdom? Sure. Yeah, for me, it, it was once I developed a clear perspective on this particular area of race and racism, and then there were later experiences of becoming aware of conditioned racism that I still had within me and still have today. And it was through that awareness that the key thing, I think, is awareness. If you're not aware of something, it's kind of hard to make changes. But in terms of becoming aware of racism in the world, racism within me, from that point on in my life throughout my adult years, I've taken steps to overcome some of that racism, to bring about healing within myself and to share that with others, to help others heal from racism and prejudice, not just racism. So it's kind of out of that awareness, then it was taking steps to make changes that could make my life better, could allow me to make a better contribution to the world, to help others, and to, to actively do things to educate myself, to, to learn about different cultures, different people, and to undo some of the conditioning and prejudices that, that I'd grown up with in my life. So then uh, the wisdom itself is directed towards uh, where we have these extreme opinions. Re that reflects that we, we need to educate ourselves more because where there's an extreme opinion, there is uh, a, a prejudice of some kind, whether it be racism or something else, but we need to fill the gap with more information. Sure. There must be some boldness that goes into that too. Uh, you probably on the in inside, you f a person would feel like... Uh, as an observer, as you were saying, that they have to be bold, more bold than they normally are, so that they can really see what's going on. Because it may be a little uh, frightening, it may be uh, may give them some duress in, mm -hmm. in seeing a new mm -hmm. pers perspective. Yeah, I think it takes a little initiative and a, and a desire to know yourself better, to uh, understand yourself better in a situation, and to even to watch yourself and see ways that you could do things differently and realize that you can take steps to make changes in how you relate to others, how you relate to yourself and how you relate to the world. So it's kind of a, it's a process. Yeah. And you know, it, when we start applying this in today's world, mm -hmm. I would think that 
if we were to step outside our current role in life, mm-hmm. imagine you're no longer with your family in, in Norfolk or, or mm-hmm. down there in Mississippi, but instead mm-hmm. you're in Seattle, Washington, <laughs> so, or you're up in Canada, you're someplace sure. totally different. You're stepping out of your, your role that's expected of you. And when that happens, suddenly you will view things more as an observer. Sure. That may be how one could get away from the racism. I think that can be uh, certainly a key factor there. And a lot of it comes back to coming to know yourself and, and to also be open to learning things about people that you perceive as different from you, people you might sense you have prejudice against, to learn more about them, to, to even bring people in your life that might, might be a little uncomfortable with you but can allow you to break through some of the fears and mythologies you might have about those people. We can take active steps to change, to grow, and to give more to the world. So then aside of uh, stepping out of your role and being bold in doing so, maybe do that with curiosity. Because with that curiosity, you gain the education or the knowledge that you're talking about. Yeah. Sure. And there's a lot we can learn about ourselves, and it takes curiosity to do that. It takes curiosity and ideally some self-acceptance, because we all have parts of ourselves that we like and parts we don't like. And if we can come to terms and to be accepting of parts of ourselves that we don't like, while we might work to transform them, then I think that makes us a, a lot more healthy than if we try to push away parts of ourselves that we're uncomfortable with. And that can be challenging in itself. That can take some work, but it's a matter of being more honest with ourselves, more accepting with ourselves. And in my experience, the more we do that for ourselves, the more we can do it for others. And the more we understand ourselves, the more we understand our others because uh, my psychological makeup, the basic parts of myself are the same as what's in other people. You know, we get hung up on the differences, but if we can see our commonalities and sameness, there can be a lot more communication, a lot more connection, a lot more appreciation for people. So it's kind of seeing our sameness while we also acknowledge and honor our differentness and uniqueness too. Well, Bill, you've, you've definitely turned a huge corner way way back you started that way way back you're quite a different person now I sure. can say for sure. sure so that's wonderful it can be done to all sure. you listeners out there this can be done there's a book out there that Bill has written Bill Drake uh, almost hereditary a white southerners journey out of racism so, and I do uh, want to mention that in that book it's part of it's a personal story and it, it goes into much detail about my story it also gives an understanding of the past of racism which I think is helpful to understand present day situation and race relations. But a key part of the book is offering steps to help people overcome their own prejudices and help overcome prejudice in society. So almost hereditary in a way is kind of a guidebook that can help people make positive changes in their lives. All right. Well, that will carry forward after uh, after this particular show is, is off air. <laughs> so right. you listeners go to that book and, and read on. Right. Bill, thank you very much. Uh, it's been wonderful sharing some senior wisdom. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that.